Welcome to Heart of a Shepherd, a podcast from Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, Wisconsin. Now, here's Trinity's Rick Adams, Angela Axtman, and Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. Welcome back, everybody. Rick Adams here, Director of Discipleship at Trinity Lutheran Church in Freistadt, in the podcast room with our own senior pastor, Carl Landbauer. Hi, Rick. And Angela Axman. It's great to be here, Rick. It's great to be here with you guys, too. We are in 1 Timothy, picking up where we left off with our last podcast. We're in chapter 2, and we had just made it into verse 8, and there's a whole lot more to follow, so... Let's get started, Pastor. Yeah, so we're going to read verse 8 again, because uh, Paul does this sometimes. He, his concern is not clean paragraphs, it's just his train of thought. So he it finished out the last section about prayer, uh, but it also introduces the next section as he starts to think about the, the ways that men and women uh, carry themselves or, or how they um, act in worship. And so uh, his, his mind being on men leading prayer and worship... And then he starts to talk about women, and this is where things are. We said earlier, this is this is where we get that head-on collision with our culture. So, so enjoy chapter two, starting with verse eight. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. There is so much here, and it's not just in 1 Timothy where we get this type of teaching. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5, right? When we talk about husbands and wives and um, so... You mean kind of the order yeah, of creation? Order of things, well, yeah. the order of creation is probably a seminary term, but yeah, the idea that God has ordered our relationships with each other and with him. Yeah. And, okay, yeah, I, I just had one last thing to say about verse 8, because I, I love that idea of lifting up holy hands in prayer. And it got me thinking about, well, what is it about hands? And I think hands is what kind of jumped off the page at me there. And it took me to Psalm 24. Mm-hmm. Who will ascend the hill of the Lord? Um, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hmm. Clean hands and a pure heart always go hand in hand. You can't have clean hands without a pure heart. Hmm. And so I think it's important that we begin with that because Paul is setting the stage here for uh, what God's will is for men and then also for women. And as Pastor Carl said, all of this is going to fly in the face of a lot of pushback from the culture who's going to misrepresent and misunderstand a lot of what Paul is putting forth. Or just assume that it's stupid and old. Right. You know, kind of dismiss. Yeah. Yeah. I, in addition with the holy, the lifting of hands, I, because it was paired with 
uh, a reference to anger and quarreling. It was making me think of, because, you know, men like to fight. <laughs> they like to physically fight and they use their hands mostly, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. for hitting. And so instead of raising your hands to hit somebody, raise your hands in holiness, you know, mm-hmm. without the anger and the quarreling Got it. as as part of prayer and sort of the... Mm-hmm. opposite of of what maybe men maybe particularly in this time um i don't know would have used their hands more for yeah it's it's a kind of intriguing thing that paul does there that because this is this is really kind of a worship context yes you know you have that coming out of the supplications prayers intercessions and thanksgivings earlier you get here this lifting holy hands and then you go into the next section, he's going to be giving qualifications for an overseer, which is essentially a local pastor. And and so in that context that he's considering that there might be anger and quarreling instead of holy hands in prayer, it's kind of intriguing, although it's not that hard to imagine. And we get uh, people together, men together, and quarreling arises even in the church. Even in the church. Yeah. In the NIV, the heading over chapter 2 is instructions on worship. Mm. And so I think in the context of worship, the holy hands lifted in prayer is certainly true. And then when he goes to verse 9 and he addresses women, this also is in the context of worship. And so in the NIV, dress modestly with decency and propriety, uh, mentions not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So again, he's he's bringing in the aspect of worship there, even in that verse. But it made me think about how, I don't think, I think what Paul is trying to get us to see and what we need to see is that true beauty in the eyes of God is not what you're wearing. It's Mm -hmm. it's what's in your heart. Mm And I think this is just lost on society today. The fashion industry and the cosmetic industry is a multi-billion dollar deal. And every television show you watch has an an ad that fortifies that belief. Mm -hmm. And I I also don't know that it's true that dressing modestly means dressing in a drab, unattractive way. Mm. I think it just means show good judgment. Yeah, I like when I'm teaching modesty, I like to remind people that you're modest of the things that, that have a lot of value. You know, sometimes we're the, the, the word shame is thrown out there. Like, like if I would ask my daughters to dress modestly, it's because I think they should be ashamed of their body. No, I think you should be proud of it mm-hmm. and recognize it's a remarkable gift from God and that there's parts of it that people will covet or be envious of, or could, could incite lust if it's not the right kind of relationship, marriage relationship. And so because that body is so powerful and so precious and so beautiful, treat it modestly, just like you would jewels that are precious and valuable and beautiful. Or if you have a really expensive car, you maybe aren't going to drive that in when you're going to hang out with a bunch of people who don't have the money. Yeah, it's about being sensitive to the others. Right. Yeah. Both men and women. There's a need for modesty because of the what immodesty does as far as what it does in a man's mind and a woman's mind to see a, a young woman who's 
um, showing off parts of her body that another woman might be je- jealous of or whatnot. So, um, the other thing is when you talk about what to adorn yourself with, what to wear. Uh, Paul says, "Good deeds. <laughs> adorn yourself with with good deeds that um, speak volumes about who you are on the inside." Mm-hmm. I've I've read some things that refer to what was specifically going on at this time in terms of women um, and their behavior. And um, one one thing that I read that talked about how a lot of times behind the temples where people would be worshiping, there would be brothels. Mm-hmm. And so this this could have also been a mm-hmm. set yourself apart you know, from what's going on there to what's going on where you're worshiping. And um, yeah, the brothel was actually part of the worship. It's called cultic prostitution. And so part of worshiping the God was to go sleep with somebody. So yeah. that's huge. I mean, that's, that's uh, kind of a big deal. Quite. Yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd want to be aware of that. And, and you wouldn't want anyone to think that Christianity was about that. Right. And um, and I also read an article that just referred to what with the whole thing specifying the the hair and the um, the braids and the gold and that the it was popular made popular by the daughter or the wife of the of Titus at the time who uh, they were using um, metal frames on their heads to wrap their their hair around like braiding it around that and make these big like headdresses out of it and and it took a really long time and of course the better yours looked you know the higher your status mm-hmm. was and and that the this was starting to leak into some of the the christian groups as well and you know just part of part of wanting to be part of the culture the women were um practicing this more and and meeting at church even to do, to dress each other up. And it was kind of like, let's get your focus, like you were saying, Rick, let's get your focus back on what, what is important here, what makes you look beautiful, not, not your fancy hairstyle, but it's your, your godliness and what, your professing. What comes to mind is that what we're, we're talking about here is a battle over our identity mm-hmm. and who gets to decide what my identity is. And I think Paul is laying it out. Your identity is in Christ. And he has poured his spirit into you. He's gone to hell and back to redeem you. And and now that's your identity. Don't fall for whatever the the lesser version of whatever the world mm-hmm. yeah. says you should be. It's, it, it's so uh, shallow and temporal. Don't fall for that. Mm-hmm. And it, it also, it allows the church to become uh, about something other than Jesus, yeah. you know? And I think that's that's such a, it's a continual temptation, right? To right. allow the, the community that's supposed to be where I worship Jesus to actually become about trying to move ahead in the world or impress somebody in the world or whatever, uh, something so much less than what it should be. I love in First Peter three because I did a little bit of a uh, uh, search and research on this whole topic in Scripture, and Peter writes in First Peter three four, let your adorning be the mm-hmm. hidden person of the heart, 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Mm -hmm. Which is of great worth in God's sight, if I'm Mm -hmm. remembering the rest of that quote. Which is, in God's sight, very precious, right? So, um, yeah, so to move the conversation along and to kind of further get into the weeds a little bit, we, we come to the next section here in verse 11, where... And this is perhaps an area where people might have more and more difficulty or confusion. Verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved. Oh, there's so much... Here yeah, you gotta go slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do, we'll just—I'll just finish out the chapter, and then we'll go back and talk about it. Because then he ends with probably one of the most difficult passages in all yeah. of Scripture. And you're, you're reading the NIV, which actually makes it harder. Oh, okay. So, so, so the ESV. Yet she will be saved through, through childbirth, child. not they. And there's a big difference there. But we'll come back to that. So. Um, so should we should we just go back and kind of pick up at, at verse eleven? A woman learn quietly with all submissiveness and uh, that that concept there. Let's go with that. Let's, Let's go. go. So, um, many people might want to immediately say, Paul was writing for then. This is now. The rules have changed, and even Christian denominations have taken that path. Sure. So. How do we speak to that so that we understand, no, uh, what was true then is true now? Yeah. Well, for one thing, there's there's places where Paul kind of cues that, where he'll say, like, you know, you should behave in such and such a way uh, so that, um, uh, I can't quote one, uh, but essentially said, so that others don't, aren't scandalized. Others, you know, some, something, it has to do with the way other people are viewing you. Here, when he describes this is this is the reason why I'm teaching this. He says, because Adam was formed first, then Eve. Yeah, he points all the way back to creation. Yeah, that doesn't change your culture. Right. You know, no matter what culture you're in, that's always going to be true. Right. So you don't get to leave it behind mm-hmm. just because your culture has changed. Uh, but, there, I mean, there's certainly going to be nuances in how so this is practiced. it just jumped out at me because you pointed out that verse. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Mm-hmm. And Adam was not deceived. Mm-hmm. Well, he kind of was deceived. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. he believed the woman gave him the app. I mean... Did he or did he rebel? I, I think it may be that what Paul is suggesting here is that Eve actually thought, oh, this is, this is going to be good, you know, and so I'm just going to give this a try. And Adam was like, I want to do what I know is wrong. You know what I mean? Like, there's a difference between yeah. being deceived and just being outright rebellion. Right. right. So that doesn't, so, like, that's not putting the woman down. I mean, that's... However, whoever was to blame, no. what was really happening here was that Eve was taking on a leadership role over Adam in that moment. The roles were flipped. And that's where the problems began. <laughs> I still, I'm going to be careful with that too. I, I, I want to go back to what you what, you started a sentence, Angela, and you didn't get to finish it. You said that does that's not putting the woman down. I want to know what you, what, where well, you were going. 
because the the woman offered Adam the apple mm-hmm. or fruit or whatever it was, yes, yeah. and probably a mango or something. And here it's saying Adam was not deceived. So, like you said, it almost makes it sound like he chose. Mm-hmm. So, to me, that says they both. Mm-hmm. They may have done different things, but neither one of them was completely innocent. Yeah. It was a group effort, yeah. filling in and, each other's gaps, and and they fell. In fact, Scripture would go a step further, and it would blame Adam. Paul will blame Adam. He yeah. does it in Romans 5. Death, death came through death. one man. Yep. And yep. So so the, the rebellious, sinful nature is that was born in Adam, and it was passed down from Adam. And I even had a professor once who pointed out um, Jesus was born without a sinful nature. He had a human mother. He didn't have a human father. So that would suggest that my kids' sinful nature, they got that from me, not from Katie. <laughs> and so, yeah. I mean, I don't, know how far you can really, I don't know how far you can really press that, but you have... There's you, too much evidence of <laughs> my children. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the girls still have the sinful nature, but they got it from their dad. That was what my professor <laughs> was saying. Anyway, could, he could have been wrong. He might have been taking a step too far. But in any case, Adam definitely gets the blame. And there's at least twice else. One says Romans 5, and there's another one I can't remember right now, um, where Adam is specifically identified as the... Yeah. It, I was at a conference, a men's conference once, who, where the speaker was making the point that what Adam should have been doing in that moment was moving her away from the tree mm-hmm. <laughs> and saying, this is not where we belong. Mm-hmm. Let's get out of here. Yeah. But his sin was perhaps, like you had said before, uh, he was... It was a sin of rebellion. I, I'm, I think this is a good idea. Mm-hmm. It, there's, there's a very different level of guilt when you fall for something and when you know it's right. wrong and you do it anyway. Right. And so the... But I, like, I'm not also, as a woman, I'm not interested in saying, oh, it wasn't me. You know, yeah, right. Ooh, it, you know, Adam was really the one at fault. That doesn't make me feel any better. I don't, I, it's, and that isn't the point. It's not the point to, to, I guess, about this whole this whole section. This section is not your salvation. What you think about this section does not state whether you're going to heaven or not. That, it, that it, your salvation is you believe in Christ who died for you and saved you from your sins yes yeah yeah i mean actually and, and how, nobody's saved by good. you know i don't i i've just decided that i may have thoughts on this and i this has been quite an interesting conversation i learned something mm-hmm. but i'm there are lots of things in the bible that we're just not ever going to understand the way in perfection the way we're supposed to understand them and we shouldn't let that get in the way of of our faith sure. Sure. But let me let me at least give this a few more minutes of trying to lay this out in a way that makes some sense, because there's something here that's really valuable, and we have a hard time seeing it because we live in a culture that is so focused on, on we, we say male and female are equal, which is true, right? In Christ, there is no male, no female. We're one in Christ, Ephesians. But, um, but takes the next step and treats male and female as if they're the same, which is two totally different things. Equal and same are not, the, are, are not equivalent. And so um, when, when we go back to Adam and Eve, you have 
Adam was formed first. If you go back and you look at that closely, you'll see that the command about the tree was given before Eve was even formed. So Adam is the one who heard the word of God. And so Eve, what she says to the serpent, that's just what she's heard from her husband. He taught her like he was supposed to. And, and then, she added, actually added more to the rule. Than or Adam did. We don't know. Yeah. But somewhere in the process, there's a little bit more. Yeah, that's uh, not the exact quote of what God said. And um, so you have that, that. That's the order. Adam was formed first. He was given God's word. He gave it to Eve. And when Satan undermines God's design, he does it by trying to reverse that. He speaks to Eve instead of speaking to Adam. And then Eve speaks to Adam and then the, the fall into sin takes place. And so what Paul is pointing to here is, is that God has this design in mind from the beginning of how the word of God is going to flow from husband to wife. And in order to, to undermine the human race, Satan's going to reverse that. And so when he goes back and says, I, I let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Uh, first of all, that word for teach is referring to official doctrine of the church. We're talking about the pastoral office mm-hmm. and, the, and the authoritative teaching uh, that that guards the doctrine of the church. Um, but what he's re- aiming to reflect here is that God has a good design. That good design is men who lead women into the truth and women who help men live in the truth. And to learn um, quietly or in another place, Paul will, will say, ask their husbands at home, bring their questions at home. If you think about what that would do in our church, if if none of the women in our church asked me questions, they only asked their husbands, guess who would have a lot of questions for me? A lot of husbands, because they want to go be heroes to their wife, right? So they want to have the answers. And we would have a whole lot more curiosity about the Word of God, and they would take it into their homes. And every home would have this shepherd who is living in the truth and has this desire to make sure that his, his household is living in the truth as well, because he understands this is my, my job. It's, it's something that I'm expected to do. My wife expects me to do it. God expects me to do it. I want to live up because men love to live up to expectations, right? So there's this, this design underneath the surface. And in, in our world, there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of households where this is not going to be the way that it works, but in any household where it can be the way that it works, it's it's going to feel, it's going to work, it's going to feel right because it's God's design. And so that, that's part of why we chose in kicking off a series around shepherding households. We said, let's start with this, this book, which is kind of hard <laughs> and has some challenging things, but it also pushes back against our society and says, we're going to recognize men and women are different. And that God has a really good design that we want to be aware of. The other thing that's, that's worth adding here is we also learn from Paul uh, that, that Timothy's faith began in his mother and his grandmother, not his dad. So if you're looking at your household and saying, that, that, I can't do that in my house. Dad's a deadbeat or whatever. I mean, hopefully you're not saying that. Hopefully you're saying whatever. But in any case, if it's not going to fit that, that picture, uh, this is a paradigm example of how God is not limited by the brokenness in our world. He constantly overcoming it. And Jesus says he always has. Absolutely. Well stated. Um, do we even want to try to tackle verse 15? 
Uh, so, uh, yeah, I can give you a read on verse 15, because otherwise, you know, it's a mystery. So, verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Uh, so, so the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. We're talking about Eve. Uh, yet she, we're still singular in Greek. That's why I said I don't like the NIV. It goes plural there for no reason. Um, and it makes it sound like women are saved by having babies or something like that, which is... That's not the case. Uh, no, Eve will be saved through childbearing. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. There's a uh, promise there, right? Messiah. An offspring. And your, offsp- your offspring will crush the head of the serpent who just plunged the whole human race into sin. And so Eve will be saved because she had an offspring. And then generation and generation and generation later, it's Jesus who conquers sin. And then the they... If they continue, now the, the offspring of Eve, the, re- the rest of the human race, continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control, well, we're saved by grace through faith, which produces love and holiness and self-control. So the whole, the whole thing kind of falls into place around that promise of an offspring to Eve. I think one of the reasons why there's so much anxiety over these verses is because culturally, you know, we're steeped in a humanistic evolutionist philosophy that tempts us to question the design that God has established in creation of head and helper of husband and wife, man and woman. And it just, it it feels like, um, as you said before, Paul writes in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. So it's not the, the maleness or the femaleness that one's better than the other. It's just that roles are different, mm-hmm. divinely created roles. Yeah. And whenever we're outside of God's design, bad things typically happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's something that struck me. By the way, I attribute that to Ephesians, so thanks for correcting me. But um, the at the beginning of this podcast, you introduced me as Senior Pastor Carl Leyenbauer. And uh, as we sit here right now, uh, we're working towards calling a senior pastor to replace me so I can become a discipleship pastor and go from being the decision maker to being somebody who helps the decision maker, so to speak. And um, just thinking about that transition and my desire for it, I hunger for that. I want that to happen uh, because I think there's so much good I can do in su- a support role and in a role where I'm able to focus more on the members of the congregation and their individual spiritual needs rather than trying to manage big picture, all kinds of things. And so you talk about that head helper idea and we get this, that there's a stigma to the helper thing, but. And maybe it's because over the course of human history, men have so badly done their job mm-hmm. of being caretakers and heads of households yeah. where we it becomes abusive or neglectful or uh, everything that it's not intended to be and so god's design gets ruined yeah. from that so yeah so I, I think maybe i would say if this is rubbing you wrong as you listen all the more reason to keep listening because ultimately what god wants to do in us is to create the heart of a shepherd mm-hmm. and i mean once you know the good shepherd in jesus you want to be in you. That's what you want your household to feel like, right? You want that to be the case, uh, whatever the role is that God has has called you to in this moment and in the future. And uh, it's it's an awesome, beautiful thing 
when this gets lived out in a in a right way instead of a wrong way. Yeah, and you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but the whole metaphor of husband and wife and marriage is really fully played out in the story of Christ and the church. And that's where we really see the the shepherd and the the head. Part of a shepherd yeah. who sacrifices himself. So all these squishy things that just seem wrong about mm-hmm. this, everything gets fulfilled in perfection in Christ. Yeah. And maybe that's the best place for us to leave it today. And, and it is, but we haven't let Angela talk for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like maybe we should just check in before we sign off here. I know we're going a little longer than we have. It's okay. Yeah. Well, I I did just want to say I, I really appreciated and enjoyed your explanation. And I think um, it drew from so many other places in the Bible that just reinforces that the need for us to be in the world, word, for all of us to be familiar with what went on in Genesis so that when we read other parts, we we can learn over time how that all comes together because you you never just want to take one part of the bible and make that your your standing point you know you it's it's all connected and it all works together and when you read it piecemeal you can get upset about some of the things <laughs> that you read because yeah. you don't understand where it fits in the grand scheme so that just reinforces being in the word, renewing your mind, allowing God's word to, to get inside you so that you can, like the Bible says, discern what is right and yeah. make good choices and be a good shepherd yeah. to whoever you're with. Yeah, get in the word, find those questions, come and, come and bring them. I'll answer them, whether you're the husband or the wife. <laughs> Although... Why not try asking your husband first and just see what happens? You should see him. In, if you could see Pastor Kyle right now, he's literally giddy <laughs> at the thought of of being in this role. So it's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. So Our, let, let's close. Let's go back to the image you wanted to close with. This is this is about Christ, Christ and his is. bride, the church. Yeah. Christ who dies in his love for the church. He does it perfectly. To make her beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that is God's design that we would reflect that in our households. And so uh, God grant it for Jesus' sake. Absolutely. Let's end it right there. We'll see you all back here next week uh, with more scripture on the heart of a shepherd. 